So years ago, when my kids were young, I took them, we took them down to a water park, and they had all these rides. And on each of the rides, they had a height restriction. And my younger son on a couple of them just missed it. And as a dad, I thought, oh, couldn't we just, for the sake of an inch, couldn't we just fudge this just a little bit? But I knew better. Uh, these restrictions were, were given for my son's safety. So we couldn't fudge. Well, sometimes when it comes to the gospel, the message, the good news, we think, couldn't, couldn't we just compromise just a bit? Couldn't we just fudge a bit? And like my experience at the water park, the answer is no. And, and this morning, as we're meeting together, I want to talk about why. Why can't we compromise on the gospel? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 16. We're going to go uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 32, uh, wrestling with this question, why can't we compromise on the gospel? Now, as you're turning there, let me, know, let me let you know, they have put a restriction on me. I can't move. And if you've seen me preach, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But, but our God's a big God. So we're going to trust him to get me through that. So as we, we start our message, Paul uh, is buoyant, vibrant about the gospel. And here's what he says starting in verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Uh, Paul says that message at which Jesus is the center uh, gives us new standing with God. We're seen as being righteous. Years ago, I was uh, friends with a, a very wealthy family, and they took me to their exclusive country club. And I was treated as somebody who was from money, but, but I wasn't. Our, our family was very middle class. Why was that? Because I, I was with this family. So it is when we're with Jesus, God sees us as righteous. And, and it's, that righteousness comes from, uh, says from faith to faith. Uh, that faith is a, a complete dependence on God. Uh, this summer, we were... Uh, up in Minnesota vacationing with some friends and they were pointing out a, a college and they said, uh, people park over there. And I said, over where? They said, over there. I said, well, it looks like you're pointing the water. They said, we are. It, it freezes over and, and people can park on the lake. I thought, oh my word, to think about driving your car on the lake, you better trust the person that says it's okay because if they're wrong and you drive on there, your vehicle goes down and you go down. That, that's not a good situation. But, but you need to be able to trust and, and drive and, and put your full weight out. And, and that's what Paul's saying. We put our full weight on Jesus for the restoration of our relationship with God. But, but there are people who don't accept that, who, who reject that. And, and Paul talks about that starting in verse 18. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I want to stop there for a second and talk about the wrath of God. This is not a, a, a two-year-old who's upset and is just going to vent his wrath. No, no, think about a judge with a person who's been found guilty of first-degree murder. The judge is going to bring the full weight of the law down on that person that is convicted. 
well, I mean, what, what if they're, I mean, what if they're really sorry, or, or, or you know, I mean, they, they, they're really sad, and, and they're sitting there in tears. No, justice demands the full weight of the law, uh, and maybe that's that's life in prison. Well, that, that's a long time to be in prison if if the person's thirty-two years old, but. That's what justice demands. That's what it's talking about. God will, will bring justice. Why? Verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. How? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now, Paul is directing these verses to the Gentiles, those that are not of Jewish heritage. And that's significant because they never got any special revelation until, until Jesus came. The Jews were God's chosen people, and God spoke through the prophets, through Moses and David and Isaiah, and a whole bunch of them. Well, the Gentiles didn't get that revelation, but, but God says they're still responsible because God has made himself known in the creation. God says it ought to be Evident that I'm existent in the creation. Now, I realize we live in a world that says uh, we disagree. We, 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 we think this, this world evolved. Uh, I would push back on that. Paul would push back and God would push back on that for a number of reasons. I've had a chance to read several atheist arguments. I will be honest, I haven't read them all. But when asked about the question of first cause. So you say it comes back to a primordial soup. When asked, okay, where do the elements of that primordial soup come? They just simply ignore the question of the first cause. They, they just go beyond it. Oh, you theists say it's, it's God, but yeah, yeah, but what is it? If there's no God, then you've got something coming from nothing. That's unscientific. That's illogical. Second, uh, years ago I had a chance to hear Mike Strauss. Mike is a particle physicist, PhD, from the University of Oklahoma. And he started talking about the probability, the angle of the earth, the amount of oxygen, and, and all these factors. And the chances that they would all line up. And he said, you multiply these things together, and the probability is infinitesimally small. It takes more faith to believe that these things came about mathematically than it does to believe there's an eternal God behind it. And so God is saying, I have made myself known in the creation. And people were without excuse. But people reject that. And so, in the verses that come, we're going to see some of the consequences of that. Verse 21 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they gave, became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now catch this, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. The rejection of God makes us fools. what they do? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of the corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Just before I got up here, we worshiped God. Uh, we're made to worship, and God made us to worship him. We reject God. We, we start worshiping all kinds of things. And back in Paul's day, they, they, they worshiped animals, and they, they worshiped the moon, and they worshiped the sun, and they worshiped all the stuff. 
We say, oh, Andy, we're, 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 we're so much more sophisticated than that. We don't do that. Let me tell you, we have our own form of idolatry of worshiping. We worship ourselves. We think we're the center of the world. And we get confronted with our performance isn't up to snuff, whether it's on the job or on the court, basketball court or wherever. And, and we can't handle it because we're the center of the world and we're God. We worship friends. We worship our boyfriend. We, uh, my, my number, when I do marriage counseling, my, my number one problem is, is people have unrealistic expectations of their, their partner, of their spouse. What are they doing? They're worshiping. They're expecting that husband or wife to fill a need. Only God can. We worship celebrities. A guy can dunk a basketball. A, a lady can kick a soccer ball. A person can perform and can sing. And all of a sudden, they, they are made deity, whether it's LeBron James or Jennifer Lopez. Pick, pick your person. And we elevate these people to God-like status, and they're not. And in doing so, we make fools of ourselves by worshiping something in the creation rather than the creator. That's one symptom of the fact that we've rejected God. A second one, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, God gave them over in their lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God gave them over the lust of their hearts to impurity. You know, God created the sexual relationship for a man and a woman in marriage. But we get rid of God and we do all kinds of things with that. We take that outside the marriage relationship. We look at pornography. We have a relationship with somebody on a screen that we don't even know. And it leaves us broken and it leaves us desperate. You know, the world looks at our, our values, what we say, we believe uh, sex is for a man and woman in marriage, and then they kind of laugh at us, yet like you're so naive. Uh, recently, I just finished reading uh, Lee Child's newest book called Blue Moon, and the hero of that is Jack Reacher, and Reacher's this former military policeman that comes and he conquers and he destroys. In this book, he got rid of the Albanian, Ukrainian drug ring, and then, and then he moves on. But in, in the context of that, he meets a young lady, and, and they become intimate, and they have relationships, but, but then Reacher moves on, because that's what he's done. And the story ends with, oh, it'll just live like as a good memory, and there'll, there'll be no consequences for that. I laugh at that. I say that's naive, because when we have sexual relationships, we bond with the person. And when we do that, and we pull apart, and we do that, and we pull apart, we leave a part of ourselves, and our heart is scarred, and we're unable to connect. Uh, Donna Friedis is an author, and she wrote a book entitled uh, The End of Sex. And she talked about the hookup culture on the college campus, where you meet somebody, you go to bed with them, you don't even know their name. And she did a study on this, and, and she said the result is ambivalence, boredom, and catch these last two, isolation, and loneliness. We get rid of God. We do our own thing with sexual morals. And then we, we, we think we can get away with it. No, the consequences is it is isolating us. It is leaving us feeling lonely. It is destroying our heart, our ability to connect. The second symptom of rejecting God. Third one comes in verses 
26 and 27. It says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also, the men abandoned their natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. A cursory look at anatomy tells us that God created a man and a woman for one another in a sexual relationship. When we deny that, we embrace homosexuality. It is a sign that we've rejected the creator God. Now you look at that and someone will say, well, Andy, you know, those verses were written a long time ago in a different culture and a different time. And my answer is our whole Bible was written a long time ago in a different culture and a different time. And if we're going to throw this out, then we can throw anything out. We become our own God and anything we don't like, we can say, I don't like that. It was written in a different time, different culture. Our belief is this word of God written by a God who stands outside of time and outside of culture. So then, then this means, Andy, you and your church and people, you hate gays. And I would say, no, I don't. I didn't write this. It was written long before I came. It'll be around a long time after I die. We, we, we have a point of disagreement at times. But because we disagree on something, it doesn't mean we have to have conflict. We have to hate each other. When I came to faith, my dad began to question me. And he, he disagreed with me on my understanding that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one came to the Father through him. He disagreed that a person couldn't work their way to God. And, and we had some animated discussions about this, and in the end, we had to agree to disagree. This discussion was probably 1982, 1983. My dad died in 2010. I got to tell you, I, I never hated my dad. And I pursued a relationship with him, and, and we were close, and we. Yeah, there's going to be points where we disagree, but that, that doesn't mean we have to hate each other. It doesn't mean we can't be friends. We understand, we respectfully disagree. That's my hope as we go forward. Now, the church, I would say, there are times we have made homosexuality a, a greater, quote-unquote, sin than things like fornication, having sex outside of marriage, adultery, being married to this person, having sex with that person, lust, being married to this person, and having, think about having sex with that woman. They're all perversions of God's desire for the sexual relationship. And to whatever person that's in whatever kind of diversion from what God planned, there, there's always a way back. There is always forgiveness if we want to embrace God. A final set of uh, consequences that show we've rejected God start in verse 28. It says this, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God in any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Man, that's quite a list. I, I, I can't take them all. But, but let, me, let me pick out a few. Murder. Why would we murder? 
well, we're separated from God and we're not getting our worth from him. So maybe you have something I want. You got, you got money or you got a car or you got prestige. Or, or maybe you, you, I want you in a relationship and you don't want to have me and I get angry and, and I murder. Down deep is, is an unmet need by God. Now, now maybe I can't murder because I, 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 you know, I, the law won't allow that and I know I'll get caught and, and you're, you're popular or something and I want to take that from you so, so I gossip or, or I slander. Nothing under the law that gets me in trouble but it, it's a way of murdering you in a sense. T- taking away from you. Um, about a year ago I had a chance to hear Ben Sass speak. He's a senator. Somebody asked, how can we pray for you? And he, he said a couple things but one of the things he said is Pray for me uh, the ninth commandment, thou shall not bear false witness. Because he says, I live in a world, and I'm talking about both parties, where you knowingly and intentionally misrepresent your opponent's position. You're, you're lying. That's deceitful. You do it knowingly. Why? Because you want the office. You want the credibility. Hey, you're lying. Oh, that's just the way it is. Apart from God, that's what we do. That's what we do. Let me, let me pick one more from this last says envy. You ever been envious? I have. Do you like that feeling? Being envious? Why are you envious? Because that person, they got money, they got popularity, they got looks, they got, they got a situation. They got something you don't have and, 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 and you're envious. And, and, and you're not getting your needs from God. We're not getting our needs from God. And so sometimes we have to pretend we're their friend and we, we smile and inside we're longing for what they've got. Want to be freed from envy? Let's find our worth in Jesus. I remember as a kid, we were in church one day and the collection plate was going along and and there was a guy about four rows in front of us. um, And he put a check in the offering plate. And my dad would throw $5 in it. And and we came out of the church and my dad was steamed. And he said, you know, that Leo Hurley... Mr. Hurley was a lawyer and he made more money and they lived in a bigger house. He, he's a lawyer and he's got so much blankety-blank money and, and he's just in a rage. Well, Dad, you don't even know what, what, how much the check was written for. But envy, insecurity, it just you assume things. And, and Leo Hurley's son was uh, friends with my older brother. The, the, the four of them became Eagle Scouts together. But my dad's in a rage over a check. Put an offering plate. This is what happens when we get disconnected from God. He wants to fill our needs. He wants to fill our worth. But without him, we're left to find it our own. And no longer do we collaborate. We compete. But you know, I, I'm guilty of that too. You know what I did about a year ago? I took Facebook off my phone. Why? Because when I'd get on and I'd see it, it seems like, man, everybody's happier than I am. Everybody has better vacations than I am. Everybody's kids are more successful than I am. You go on and on and on. What's that? that? That's a problem with me. I need to grow in my understanding that God meets these deep needs. So what have we talked about? We've talked about that God has made himself known in the creation. And we reject it and it, it comes out in, in idolatry and it comes out in immorality and it comes out in all these characteristics, envy, malice, deceit. You can read them in verses 28 to 31. So what's the end of it is? Here's the end of it, verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They're worthy of what? Death. Eternal separation. 
well, from God. Well, Andy, isn't that a little harsh? Isn't that, no, that, 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 that's justice. Remember the judge sentencing the first-degree murderer to life in jail? Boy, that's really hard. No, 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 that's justice. The solution, the freedom, the redemption from death comes in the gospel. Jesus came and lived a life in full submission to God. Right at the point he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That we could be reconnected with God. And, and that, that's the center of the gospel message. And we, we can't compromise on that. We, we can't change that. So we started asking this question, why can't we compromise on the gospel? I'd say this, only the gospel saves us from the consequences of rejecting God. Remember, we've looked at all these consequences. Only the gospel saves us from those consequences. 1983, Joe Delaney was a star running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was out of place. He saw three kids, three boys drowning. Delaney had grown up in in poverty in Louisiana and, and made it big as a running back, but he had never learned to swim. But he saw the kids drowning. So he jumped in, and you know what? He died. He drowned. And he's considered a hero for giving his life, which he is. But you know, that's just a picture of what Jesus did for us. He's the center of the gospel. He jumped into the mess, the the idolatry, the immorality. He jumped into the greed and the malice and deceit. And he knew it would cost him his life. He knew it would cost him being on the cross. But he did it anyway. That is the center of the gospel. Is it any wonder then that Paul says in verses 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Look, this is extraordinary, this coronavirus thing. It is extraordinary what is going on. And there's lots of lessons to be gleaned from it. But one of the lessons is we are not in control. We are not in control. This thing hits and bang. 11-year bull run market over. Schools canceled. Universities online. Why? Because, man, this thing's out of control. And I'm grateful for the government officials and the, the medical officials who are doing this. They're doing a great job. But, man, we're out of control. But God is in control. And it says in the gospel, he is revealed from faith to faith. God has made himself known in this. Uh, this coronavirus has also revealed we're desperate for the gospel. I'm talking about us as humanity. Uh, the, the, the Bible says without God, we're self-centered. You don't believe that? Go try and buy toilet paper today. Go try and buy hand sanitizer. It's not there. I'm seeing pictures. Facebook. I'm seeing pictures on Facebook. All over the place. It's gone. Why? Because people are thinking about me. I need to think about me. What about your neighbors? I ain't thinking about my neighbors. Humanity is self-centered without the gospel. The gospel is a picture of a God who sacrifices and gives himself to people. And when we come, our focus turns from ourselves to God and his values and we begin to value other people. We're in desperate need for the gospel. 
Uh, we're in desperate need for people who did like Jesus did. He, he jumped into the mess and he gave himself. And, and I talked about that earlier. Would we be the hands and feet of Christ stepping in and caring for vulnerable people? But we can't compromise on this message if we're going to be get connected with God. And if we're going to have that kind of heart change where we've quit focusing on us and look at God and others. And see, the compromise comes, well, well can't we kind of, can't we do kind of some other God, some other way? Can't we? No, no, Jesus, again, I didn't write this. Jesus didn't leave that option open. And neither did Paul. Jesus is the one who died for our sin. Well, Andy, can't we, you know, I mean, okay, if I don't believe, can I? I mean, if just as long as I do, I mean, even if I do some good things here in this coronavirus, doesn't that get me back with God? No, it doesn't. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith. Not, here's the verse that got me, not a result of works. That, my freshman year in college, that, that phrase tripped me up for six months. Not as a result of works. We can't compromise. It is fully Jesus. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, for it is the power of salvation. That and that alone is the power of salvation. It's what we have that makes us right with God. We can't compromise on that. In 2002, I went for a physical, and uh, my cholesterol was off the charts. And the doctor said, well, we need to put you on medication. Whoa, 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 whoa. Give, me, give me six months. So I did, and I, like, I ate cardboard and turpentine for breakfast. I ate all this stuff that didn't taste good, and I exercised, and I went back in six months, and my numbers went up <laughs> instead of going down. And the doctor said, you know, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your parents. You've got bad genes. There's nothing you can do to solve this condition, but we have technology. We have pharmaceuticals that will, will do that. And so for the last 18, 17 years, I've, been on, and I've had no side effects, and, and it has solved my problem. It has brought my numbers down. But I, I, I get three months, and then I have to go back and get a refill. And every year I have to go back and see the doctor, and he writes me another prescription. But, you know, I wouldn't think of going up to the pharmacy and say, hey, hey, what do you guys got on special today? You know, what's, what's anything will do. I wouldn't think of saying, you know, penicillin, it's really worked through the years. Give me some penicillin. That doesn't target my problem. I need a specific drug. Well, there's a lot of purported solutions out there. But there's only one solution that targets our sin, our rebellion against God. And his name is Jesus. And the message of his salvation is in the gospel. And we can't compromise on that. It's the only thing that saves us from the consequences of rejecting God. Let me pray. And Daniel will close us with a final song. So our Lord, we are grateful for this Jesus revealed in the gospel bringing us back as he jumped into the mess of the immorality and the greed and deceit and the idolatry. And, and particularly in this time of the coronavirus, he shines forth and he, and he changes hearts and, and he moves us from being self-centered to other-centered. Oh, that we'd embrace the gospel. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.